This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into another edition of Spits and Suds. I'm Gavin Spittle of 1053 The Fan. Today we go behind enemy lines as we gear up for the Western Conference Finals. Your Dallas Stars taking on the Vegas Golden Knights. And joining me, a, a friend, NHL analyst, uh, sorry, NHL analyst. She was also a little tidbit, American Hockey Coaches Association, All-American for St. Anselm, the goaltender, and she covers the Vegas Golden Knights. It's Lindsey Brown. How are you? I'm doing well, especially with an intro like that. I appreciate the the time. Well, I, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because this is why I love talking hockey with you because we've had some deep dive conversations with Jake Ottinger and and you know you played Division One and a high level of uh, goaltending and. Have you been able to watch much of Jake and what he's been able to do? And what has been your thoughts on all the goalie polls this year in the NHL playoffs? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to want to watch somebody like Jake Ottinger. He just plays the position so well at such a young age. And, you know, he's from Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. And we haven't always had the most successful goalies. And so I'm really excited that we have someone that's representing the state that's that's doing so well. And I just love the way the guy battles. Like he doesn't give up uh, on pucks. He's a great guy in space, really quiet core. Um, You know, the post can get a little bit troublesome for him, but for the most part, like he's just so calm. I really like the way that he plays with his hands. And I mean, you got to say that this guy has an it factor. We all saw it last year in that game seven loss where he had like what 50 something saves or Maybe it was more. I can't really. Once yeah. you get past 40, you just start, stop. 64. So, 64. Amazing. Yeah, 64. Yeah, that's much different than 50. <laughs> I was like, oh, is that the Jason Tatum game seven the other night? But, you know, he, he's, he's got that it factor. And, and he was you know, a little bit skittish last series. But for the most part, he was able to dial it back in. And, I mean, you put him out there for game seven and he shuts it down until, what, 15 seconds left in the period, left in the game in total. So uh, it's been a real pleasure to see him develop and, and his journey. And I think you guys got a real winner in them. And I, the Dallas stars are going to be a problem for many years to come specifically because of him. Now, is that what the talk in Vegas is about from a behind enemy lines perspective? When they talk about the Dallas stars, is Ottinger the, the big mention or is it Pavelski and the concussion that happened a few years back? I mean, Pavelski is certainly a big name because you have the concussion. You have those battles that were between the Sharks and the Knights that DeBoer was obviously part of as well. But I think just given given the state of the Golden Knights goaltending situation this year, uh, Ottinger is certainly uh, a huge discussion point because his reputation precedes him. And and when you when you have a little bit more of a, of a goaltending by committee here, you, it's hard not to look across and be like, man, I wish we had somebody like that. But 
ultimately the Golden Knights have constructed their roster in a different way. You know, Robin Leonard is technically supposed to be the starting goaltender for this this season, but he's been out all year. And honestly, I think it's kind of helped them in a way to have the the goaltending carousel because it's forced them to learn how to play different styles, play more discipline. And that just goes hand in hand with the Bruce Cassidy system of, of, of discipline and accountability. And so Ottinger is certainly, he, he's at the top of my mind because uh, goaltenders tend to steal series, especially at this stage in the game. And, you know, this, the, the Golden Knights got their soul stolen by a, a Dallas net miner just a couple years ago. And so we'll see if Ottinger can, can keep that legacy going because he's certainly capable. Let's do a deep dive into the Vegas net minding situation. It's just absolutely amazing the number of goaltenders they, they've used. It really is a tribute to the team. And despite the injuries and despite goaltending, they, they, they were just a force all year. Tell me about the rise of Aiden Hill because it's pretty amazing that you know he really stood tall against Edmonton. Yeah, his game seven performance had to be a, a shot in the arm for him because, you know, he's a little bit of an adventure in the net. Sometimes he sits pretty deep in his crease because he's not the best mover, but he he can get a little bit on his butt sometimes. But I think he was able to to play confident. The Golden Knights were able to actually score first for once and then Edmonton scored right back away. And so that was the story of the series as well. It's just a lot of responses between the two. But you know, he's he's just straight up last guy standing. And and what like I like I just mentioned, this team in front of front of the goaltenders plays so well. They really box out so that you, it's hard to access that interior ice. Their defensemen don't chase below the goal line very much. And so you're not getting people out of position or forcing the net front defenseman to make a decision like who do I cover since my partner's down below. But you know, it, it doesn't matter at this time of year what you've done, how how little time he's played, because, you know, it was Logan Thompson's net to start the season. And then Aiden Hill would go in, you know, one one every three, one every four. And he was fine. He was great. I mean, his team was great for, you know, the majority of the first half of the season. And they went through a little bit of a lull because they had injuries. Uh, Logan Thompson started getting hurt. And uh, ultimately, after the All-Star break, they were able to recapture and regroup. And, you know, you go get Jonathan Quick to basically uh, keep pace for everybody in the, in the Pacific Division because it was such a barnstorming race down the stretch because L.A. was playing so well. Edmonton, you know, lost like two games since March. And so the Golden Knights were able to keep pace. And so it was just it's been very interesting how they've been able to finagle it together. But ultimately, um, a goalie like Aiden Hill, who sits deeper in his crease, is actually a pretty good fit for Bruce Cassidy's system that I just highlighted because you're not getting goaltender that's going to take too many chances, push out too far outside of their crease where they're giving up extreme angles. And so as long as he's taking care of rebounds and he's able to track the puck through traffic, he, he's going to be all right. He's going to get the job done for you most nights. We are going behind enemy lines here on Spits and Suds. Uh, Lindsey Brown joins us. She's uh, one of the uh, top people who cover the Vegas Golden Knights. And you covered Pete DeBoer last year. And we see Pete DeBoer differently here now after the season mm-hmm. that he's had, take us back as far as the Pete DeBoer system, why it didn't work, and then the transition into Bruce Cassidy and what has worked under Bruce Cassidy. Well, I think that Pete DeBoer has fallen trend or fallen in trend with a lot of head coaches these days where you're more likely in the NHL to get fired uh, as a head coach of a good team than you are a bad team. And I think there was just the culmination of events down the stretch last year and you also have to note the pressure that this organization in Vegas is under. That was the first year they'd ever missed the playoffs. And I know people outside of the fan base are like, 
you guys haven't suffered. You guys haven't gone through this. And so everybody had to take their lumps. And the big lump was Pete DeBoer. There was a lot of a drama, especially related to Rob and Leonard down the stretch last season. And so power play was always a struggle. And, and so I think the ax just ultimately fell on him in addition to all the other injuries that that team was going through. And they did not supplement the roster the way that they have this year that allowed them to find more depth scoring down the stretch. I mean, Jack Eichel, who came back from neck surgery, was playing with a broken hand. And he was pretty much all that. Like Alex Petrangelo was the engine of the offense. And so I think Pete just did probably the best that he could with everything. I mean, it wasn't like it was a bad year. They weren't towards the bottom, you know, it's, but with, with an organization that has expectations to get a cup within, you know, the ending of William Carlson's contract, that's, that's directly from the mouth of the owner. Um, they're, they're a little bit quick to, to pull the rope here. I mean, it happened to Gerard Gallant, Pete DeBoer came right in and, you know, I, I think they also saw, an opportunity with just how many coaches happen to land uh, for new spots every year. And I mean, Bruce Cassidy is literally the perfect coach for this golden Knights team. I think, I I don't think Pete was the absolute best fit here, but uh, ultimately he was a a great steward for the team as they navigated kind of that middling road through the, through their childhood here as a franchise. So Bruce Cassidy comes in, had amazing success with Boston and what mm-hmm. have you seen as far as changes that he has made throughout the year um, that has made this Vegas Golden Knights team so effective? Well, I think he Bruce is a pretty upfront guy. Like, unlike Pete, and it's nothing against a person, like, Pete's not going to tell you jack squat. Like, he's not going to tell you anything. Whereas if you ask Bruce, like, how do you feel the defenseman uh, handled the gaps today? He'll tell you where he liked it, where he did it, and why. And with that accountability, I, I think – that's something different down here in Vegas. And it wasn't like people were were wandering off or, or getting away from the game, but it took a while for this team to really internalize and buy into this system because the Golden Knights have historically been like a, a heavy transition team. They love going on the rush and that comes with certain decisions. You have forwards that'll cheat high in the zone or will play the neutral zone a little bit too fast and loose. And you know, if the rush isn't going your way and, and you're overloading that with all of your offensive power, well, then that rush is probably going back the other way and possibly in the back of your own net. And so I think that's where Bruce really took this team and, and said, we got to slow this down like a zone by zone where you're not getting caught too long in the defensive zone. But if we do, we're going to be able to withstand and then we're going to take a better care in the neutral zone. So we might not be able to chase as many opportunities. We might not be able to spring as many opportunities. But ultimately, we're going to give up fewer than we're than we have in the past. And then and offensively, I, I have noticed a big difference, especially when Mark Stone is out there, is that there's a low to high offense. You get in the cycles, you get that possession and you don't rely on your defensemen to be the distributor because they're great. They're great weapons, especially when you got like a, a guy like Joe Pavelski, you can tip a lot of pucks. But that means it's higher up in the zone. It's that much closer to your net. If there's a turnover, if there's a block shot, like. You just take it out of their hands and drive it a little bit deeper and make your opposition work for it. So I think it's just more of a work pale mentality. And as this team proved to itself that, hey, we can win in different ways. We can we can find these games where we can win five, four, six, five, but also we can do two to one, three to two. We can beat the crappy team in the Pacific Division a couple nights after challenging a, a central division power. And so it's it's been a really successful first campaign for Bruce, but he also walked into a really good situation. You know, one of the players, we you talk about Eichel and 
Vegas, like Dallas, has some notable names. But I mm-hmm. think people forget around here, Lindsay, that Riley Smith was a top prospect in this Dallas organization and was yeah, traded. Yeah, the Sagan trade. Yeah, the Sagan trade. And that was so yeah. long ago that people forget. And now Riley Smith doing a real nice job on that third line for uh, Vegas. And I think he had a really good year for you guys. Yeah, he did. And and we were almost too over-reliant on him last year. He was one of the only guys that was healthy for the majority. And he takes care of stuff so much more than just scoring. I mean, he didn't really get going until the second series of this playoff, but he's so responsible. He's worn the A here, you know, from pretty much day one, I, I believe. And he's just one of those hockey players that you would trust in any situation. And he's really great on the penalty kill. The, the, between him and William Carlson, they're very, very dangerous on shorthanded opportunities. And so that's something that I think Dallas is definitely going to have to plan for, to look for if Vegas decides to go that way, a little bit more of an aggressive PK, especially with how much offense that you guys base off out of your defensive court. You know, that was something that Bruce Cassidy brought up is he compared, which I thought was a, Huge compliment. He compared the Dallas power play. He said, like Edmonton, the Dallas power mm-hmm. play is something. And I and I mean, we know we have a good power play, but wow, that's a that's a that's a very nice uh compliment by coach um to compare it against uh Edmonton. So coming off that series, do you see any changes as far as stylistically going against Dallas rather than Edmonton? Because that series took on a a, a pretty physical note throughout it. Yeah, there was a lot of bad blood in there. Um, I mean, you got to play every series different because every opponent is different. And ultimately, Dallas is by far and away their best opponent in these playoffs so far. Like the Winnipeg Jets were like there for a second, but they got apathetic real quick. Like in game five, I was watching where I was like, these guys are ready to be on a golf course tomorrow. And then with, with Edmonton, I mean, take care, try to try to dampen their scoring, right? They took care of Leon Drysdale and the team literally imploded. They don't have the depth that Dallas does. They certainly don't have the defensive core that Dallas does. And goaltending, I mean, that's the ultimate. People will say like, oh, it's the Oilers' year. Oh, it's Toronto's year. Like, yeah, good luck with those goalies. We'll see. And what do you know? It always turns out that way. And so this is this is the ultimate challenge because Dallas is, is a hard-nosed team. I mean, you guys forechecked them to death just a couple of years ago, and most of these guys are still left over. And you know, even up and down your lineup, you got scoring, but it all start starts and stops with Jamie Ben and, and just how he he plays too. And so, I I they're gonna have to play just as disciplined, if not more. They're gonna have to probably capitalize on a few more opportunities. They're gonna have to stay out of the box. Like everybody was harping on them all all last couple weeks. Like stop getting in the box so early. And they would just, I don't know, Brady McNabb be like, I'm going to cross check this dude into next Thursday. I'm like, what? Just, just take a number, dude. Like just, <laughs> just let it settle in a little bit. You can punch his teeth in later, but that's where everything is made or broken at, at this stage game. Can you, can you stay level-headed? Can you win the war over the battle? But then can you win the battles that enable you to win the war too? I mean, it's, it's uh, it's going to be a great challenge. And I, I, I'm really excited this matchup is happening because I think they've been, the two best teams in the in the West this year. Was there any explanation in how did people in Vegas feel about the Petrangelo high slash on dry sidle during the series? I I don't really know what the fans really said. Every there there's no penalty uh, should ever be called on Vegas if you're in that building. Everything's BS <laughs> if there's a penalty. There it's a very interesting fan base, and anytime you know somebody sneezes in Vegas's direction and they go down, we're like, there's a five minute in there somewhere. Uh, and so we'll see how that transpires. But in terms of Petrangelo, I'm just 
it was such a stupid play, Gavin. Like, it was just like, what are you doing? And I get it. They were going after him. He got checked from behind by Evander Kane just like a couple shifts earlier and all that. But I'm like, you don't, you don't ax someone across the arm, especially their superstar. But luckily, Darnell Nurse started some uh, instigated a fight. Yeah. So their top defenseman, our def- top defenseman was out. And I really liked the rest of the defensive core. And Ben Hutton hopped in, was on the power play, no problem. And so... I'm glad it was just for one game because it was very malicious and I would not recommend that anybody follow that example. <laughs> I So Petrangelo by far the quarterback of this and one of the leaders of this team. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like what Ryan Suter was for the Minnesota wild, maybe like 10 years ago when he was playing 26 minutes a night, that's what Petrangelo is. And Petrangelo I think is a lot better uh, offensively minded, but as I mentioned earlier, they've, they've readjusted that he, he, he doesn't stick handle and dust it off and shoot anymore. He gets the puck moving really quickly. He knows how to gap up. He's going to be out there uh, shadowing your, your top players as much as possible. I would, he's a, he's a great guy in transition. That's really good, uh, you know, forward to backward skating. And so I'd stick him on Rupe hints. I mean, that's, that's, that's your burner, right? That's your top line. Yeah. We'll see if Jason Robertson can work himself out of it. Cause I mean, you have to defend him, but you got to think the confidence is pretty low right now. And so you can kind of just leave him alone and probably focus your, your talents. Maybe you stick a better line on Wyatt Johnston. You know, it's, you guys got a lot of firepower, but they're one of the best defensive cores in the league. They block a lot of shots. And so I, I think that, that the defense, the defenseman to the goal, that that's where this series is going to be decided for me. Can yeah. you pick up broken plays? Can you get physical leverage? and uh, find a way to get those grimy goals. That's that's going to be the name of the game. I mean, Johnston around here has been amazing. Uh, very popular. People are amazed that they're watching a 20-year-old. You guys old. draft so well. Like, yeah. it's, you guys are just hit and hit and hit. It's unbelievable. We, which is funny because prior to that, it was miss, miss, miss. And somehow, right. I would love to do a deep dive with Jim Nill as far as changes that happened where uh, – uh, former Minnesota guy, uh, Riley Tufty or uh, uh, Julius Honker, mm-hmm. or we had Gurionov, we had Nachushkin, who turned out okay. Mm-hmm. Um, not yeah. for us. But, you know, those picks, and now all of a sudden it's Delandria's, Wyatt Johnston's. Um, mm-hmm. We have Logan Stankoven, who's down in the juniors right now, and a lot of people are saying that he's coming straight up to the stars next year, and Maverick Bork, another uh, first round draft pick down in Texas is having a great That's year. That's a name so, right there, yeah. Maverick Borg. Isn't that oh, great boy. name? Yeah. Don't yeah. get in a fight with that guy. He's gonna lock down. <laughs> He's actually more of a sniper, but yeah, I'm sure you know okay. it is a great name. Um, so I expect him to make a run at being on the team. So you know the difference I think with this team as opposed to the bubble year was the bubble year. A lot of us in Dallas felt as though that was a great run. We feel as though mm-hmm. this time it's a sustained run. In other words, the the cores there when you look up the middle and you you, you know you have your Rope Hinch, your Wyatt Johnston, Robertson still young, Hashkinen, Ottinger. There's just enough where it's like it's amazing, Lindsay, that it used to be a few years ago with the bubble we would say you know well we got to do it because the window's closing and that meant mm-hmm. Ben and Sagan. Now no one talks about that window closing anymore. Yeah, and that's I mean. We sometimes we think it's this generation, right? Like this is the generation that gets it done in terms of their their prime when they're in their mid to late twenties. And sometimes th- those guys need to be later in their thirties to figure it out. I mean, when you guys are in the bubble, Tyler Sega was playing on one leg, like, and then and then he had further injury. And just 
I've, I've done a lot of reading uh, about about Dallas over the course of the season and just the adjustment that he's made to his game instead of being the sniper guy. Like we have younger snipers that are better equipped. Like you're not a spring chicken anymore, Tyler. But and and he's been able to embrace that role and then have uh, an offensive resurgence, especially in that first series against Minnesota. And so I you're right in terms of the window and of what we envisioned for that team, but it's just speaks to the, to the, how the league has really changed where the young talent is, is springs eternal right now. Like guys are getting chances real early. And I just remember it during the bubble season that you guys would have these, these young guys rotate in and then they'd have like a hat trick and you're just like, where the hell did that come from? Like, who is this guy? But now you have a couple more years under their belt. They, they all have an understanding. They under, They've been through things together. They've had disappointments. And so uh, it, it's been fascinating to watch their ascension because if you would have just gone with like the second Ben core, I mean, you're like, okay, maybe we make like a second round in the next couple of years. Maybe we get hot again. We'll see. But I mean, I think the imagination just got blown right open with Robertson. Like I early this year, I was like, there's something about this kid. I said, I made a TikTok one time. And I was like, if I was going to build my franchise around somebody who's under the age of 25 right now, it'd be Jason Robertson. And then he goes out and scores all the goals that he's able to do this year. Cause he's just, he's a relentless talent. He is, he, he shoots the puck. He finishes around the net and he's got to rediscover that he's going through that. Those, those pains that a lot of the young players do where, you know, the physicality of playoff hockey, we take away option a, we take away option B. What can you do with C? Can you shoot from neutral weak? And, uh, you know, some guys take a couple of years to figure it out, but luckily your team has so much depth that they've been able to, to buoy him and hopefully create an environment that he can kind of break out of in the second half of the playoff. Cause you're only halfway there. <laughs> can you believe we're only half? That's there? amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it is. Wild. You know, the other thing is, is that there are some cool storylines similar to the stars first round series in Minnesota, where you had Suter returning you had Ottinger, um, you not know, well they, received, Ryan yeah, Suter. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, not a fan favorite here in Dallas, by the way. No, um, no. But you do have two players that spent some time in Vegas in uh, Dodonoff and Colin Miller and actually had some good seasons in Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Colin was here before I got down here, so I'm not super familiar with, with his time and his game, but he's obviously had a, a great season for you. But Dodonoff is, a, is an interesting, sneaky little player. Like, he was. He was basically the Golden Knights offense for stretches of last season. And I wasn't really surprised when Pete and the Stars went and grabbed him because he, he's a great utility player and he shoots and he can make some extreme angle shots or where you're just able to open up different looks that aren't always there. I think sometimes you can get predictable on offense and, and goal, not make the goalies work that hard. You want them to stretch across the crease as far as possible from point A to point B and get that shot off quick. And so if they've, when they utilize him well, when they need him to do something, he's great, especially when he's in the slot. He's like a uh, like bubble hockey that you play at the at the arcade. He just like whips around a lot, right? Yeah. It's, he's he's a really interesting specimen when he skates and is out there, and he's just a supplementary piece to to the rest of the talent you guys have. Yeah, it's it's we we were doing a deep dive on him, and it's so interesting that he changes so many teams, and he's had so many good mm-hmm. years in the NHL. Yeah, and how weird it was last year when they tried to trade him, and then you know because the NHL's trade yeah. commission or whatever it is is like literally a CC on an email, and it was just it was such a disaster <laughs> last year. I felt so bad for him too, and so I'm glad that. I, where did he start the year? Did he go back up to Montreal? Montreal, yeah. 
Yeah, and so I'm glad that he that he got off that roster and landed with someone uh, to to hopefully make a playoff run because I think he suffered long enough in Ottawa that he deserves you know a few more cracks at this. Yeah, ton, I mean, tons of credit to Jim Nill at the trade deadline getting for sure uh, for a struggling Dennis Gurionov who actually ended the year really well for Montreal. Um, but Dodonov has been a game changer, as has Max Domi for a second round pick, basically. And you know, underrated that, move yeah. of, the, of the deadline, to be honest. Like I, you talk about snarl and and legacy and stuff. He's he's like a little energizer bunny out there with the way that he plays, and you don't need him to do everything. And so that's where you see some of these players that have the offensive upside, and you're able to kind of take that responsibility away, and they just their game flourishes. And so I. I think I was one of the more underrated pickups. I thought Tanner Janos for uh, Tampa Bay would have voted better, but, you know, we can't be right on everything. Well, it is kind of, you know, we were saying in this series, and, you know, we watched the Kraken throughout the year, but at the same time, like, you know, when it got to game six or seven, it's just, we were like, stop. You guys keep coming at us. You you know, I mean, you guys face them all year long. I mean, what an, jeez. They're just like four lines coming at you and like, you know, even down to the final seconds in game seven, it's like, my God, we had this game one and now you guys are coming back again. Well, and they had the, they had the benefit and the disadvantage to learn from the expansion draft with, with Vegas. And so you, you have the idea that we're not going to do like uh, where we're going to expect to compete for a Stanley cup right away, even though that's absolutely what they were able to accomplish this year. Instead, they, they fill out that roster with a bunch of different players. Like you said, the depth and, and the the threat that each line presented. And it's not like Jordan Eberle, sorry, is not a superstar, but sometimes he can play like it, right? Yeah, good point. And ulti- ultimately, um, last year, their goaltending was garbage. This year, it was not. I mean, you even, Martin Jones even looked respectable. I'm like, what is that? Last, <laughs> probably before he got traded to Boston for a day before he went back to San Jose from the Kings. And so, uh, I, I think they've done an excellent job in managing everything and managing expectations because I think as as fortunate as the Knights were when they did the expansion draft to basically swindle a bunch of teams like Minnesota, we're like, well, we'll to sign Eric Hall and uh, we'll take Alex Tuck so we won't take Mac Dumba. Like the, people will never let them live that down because it was just such a bad deal. But we didn't know it at the time because who would have expected such early success from Vegas or Seattle, but that's the parody of the league. There's, there's not a lot of guys that can't skate out there. And as I mentioned, with the young talent infusion, you got a lot of guys that are chomping at the bit that can produce. And so teams can get better really quickly. All right. So finally, we're talking with Lindsay Brown. Uh, She does a great job covering the nights in Vegas. So you do a rate, a daily radio show. Tell us the pulse of Vegas right now. I know the Knights are real popular, uh, but you just came off the NFL draft with the Raiders and things going yep. on with the Raiders. You got a new quote-unquote baseball team um, if they can strike a deal with that land and uh, so long mm-hmm. Tropicana. So you have the A's coming to, to to Vegas. So where does Knights talk sit with you guys right now? Uh, this is, this is a golden Knights town first and foremost. I mean, the NFL, we know that, that that's the champion, but it's not on right now. But the thing is about every other team, except for the golden Knights here, they moved here. They're, they're transplants. The golden Knights were grown here. They're, they, they've had the same hashtag since the beginning of their, their, uh, their franchise, the, the Vegas born. And, and that plays here. I, when I was, uh, visiting 
here in, uh, I think it was their second season, and they were in the second round versus the Sharks. This is like the Pavelski head thing, the concussion thing. And I was scouting the market to just see, like, what's Vegas about? Is this something that that's plausible? Like, just trying to get the vibe. And I just walked around down there. I'm like, people had tattoos and every single person walking into that place had a jersey. I'm like, everybody had team issues and stuff. And coming from Minnesota, like, people just show up in their high school sweatshirt or their letter jacket. And that, it's just, it's a different cultural feel up here. Here, it's rabid. And the thing is, it's it's kind of created a little bit of a monster because if they're not playing well, if yeah. their power play sucks after like one period, they'll boo them. They'll boo them. Wow. Like it's, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, they'll boo them. And uh, so the team is very protective and, and and they're kind of in a bubble. But in terms of, of what Vegas has just turned into, I mean, I made a big bet on just being like, yeah, I think this is going to turn into something and then it's escalated further than I thought it would. And it's going to continue to because. You know, you get the draft, you get the the Super Bowl this year. You have all these sports that are moving here, and uh, and then you have the proliferation of of sports gambling. And so, Vegas is so much more about creating an experience now. Like you can do all the things that you can do in Vegas and other places in Vegas, but you can't do it like Vegas. And that's the same thing with their sports teams, especially with the Golden Knights. The production value is uh, off the wall. You you've you've seen it. You saw it earlier it. this year. Let loved me it. Well, they got dragons now, Gavin. Where, like, where, where, where are the dragons? They got projectable dragons <laughs> on that full ice. Like, you'll see it. I'm sure they'll put it on TV. It's wild. All and, right. You know, people are just all in on it, and they're really excited, but they just have really high expectations. And Honestly, they should. This is a roster that's built to win now, and they've spent a lot. They've sent away a lot of fan favorites, and that's the natural yeah. procession of, of having a franchise, but this is their first time going through it. You know, their first breakups hurt a little bit more, and so... Um, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like a mixed good. bag, right, Lindsay? Because, like, you're excited that they're off to this quick start, but then you have to trade pieces like Nick Suzuki because, yeah. you know, the expectation's so high. Yeah, absolutely, and then when you, you trade him for, for Max Pacioretty, and then you, like, let Max Pacioretty go for basically nothing or Mark Andre Fleury you trade him for a bag of pucks. Like it's, they haven't exactly navigated their, their order of business the way that I would have recommended or that I, I think the fans have liked, but winning cures all things, right? If they win yeah. this year after letting, you know, a lot of those guys walk and making the moves that they did, like trading Alex talk, trading Peyton Krabs, who was a probably their top prospect for Jack Eichel, like, they're in it to win in the next two or three years. And if they don't, it'll be viewed as a massive failure, but this is their best chance. This is the best team I've seen since I've, I've moved here four years ago. And uh, I think they have a great shot. You know what? I'm so, I love the experience in, in Vegas. I love going to the stadium. I absolutely love, I don't know where it started, Lindsay, but the whole thing, like for instance, stars fans, you'll hear when the stars uh, take a penalty, you will hear mm-hmm. the whole crowd yelling sin, sin, and pointing toward the penalty box because it's known as the right. sin bin. And just little right. bits like that. I just, I was amazed and impressed at how locked in the Vegas fan base was with their knowledge of hockey. I asked a lot of questions, you know, talking to the fans, how engaged they were, how welcoming they were um, to people mm-hmm. that had been to the stadium for the first time. I honestly felt as though I was in like an original six or original 12 barn. And that's impressive. Yeah. They're, they're a really interesting group and you know, they catch a lot of hell. Cause like, you don't know anything about hockey, but 
Hockey ain't rocket science, people. Like, it's a game. It, you, you get pucks deep. You box people out. Like, you could throw all the cliches out there in the world because they're all true. They're cliches for a reason. And, you know, the, the, the environment that that arena creates, even if you don't necessarily know what's going on in the ice, you're part of the whole thing. Like, they got stuff running in between every whistle. They got so many different contests. Like, they used to feature fans, like, every single game. They would have, like, a signature move, right? And it, there's a real ownership to that. There's a real fabric of community there. And a lot of that stems from the timing of, of the first season and, and the October one shooting here and that preseason game that came just a yep. few days later. Like, that was a place for the community to mourn and, and to really – just experience that moment and process that together. And so that's, that's another reason why like, this is, this is a golden Knights town and we'll see once you go through every franchise has its, will will succeed. And then there will be a regression and we'll see how well attended is during that regression. But for now, you know, things are going great. Why wouldn't they be welcoming there? We're, we're the hospitality capital of the world. If we treated you poorly, we're not going to make as much money off of you. So why would we do that? <laughs> so has Lindsey Brown, is she in the business of making predictions? Uh, I, I think it's going seven games. Oh, I, all I right. think it's going seven games. Uh, I think it goes the distance. Um, and I really like Vegas. But, I mean, predictions are just, I think, so uh, faulty at this time of year. And honestly, then it becomes like, well, I want to be right. I want my prediction to be right. Instead of just like taking the game and the experience as yeah. it is. Like I don't fill out brackets for March Madness. I don't do any of that because then it becomes about me. And it's not about me. It's about them. It's about taking in uh, the best playoff in, in, in all of sports and, and seeing how these two franchises that have fought so hard to get to this point and see how they compete in battle. I mean, this is the, this is the stuff you dream of, whether you're playing whether you're covering it or if you're a fan. Yeah, and I also will say to those people, and I wanted to get your quick thoughts before we let you go, on the, I think these playoffs are generational. I understand you that many want the big markets in, but to me, Vegas, Dallas, Florida, Carolina, you know, there are going to be kids watching. This is going to Mm -hmm. create future hockey in those markets, and that's good for the NHL. Absolutely. I mean, stars won a, won a cup in the nineties, the Canes won in 06. And when, when you have the non-traditional markets and you're people, it doesn't matter what you're doing. People like winners. People like to have those, those memories associated. We all like to be part of those, those moments where it just feels like everybody's in the same place, especially now that with, with the pandemic, with, with how everybody's handled things the way that community is very frayed right now, sports are a really important piece of our, of our everyday life. And so it's, it's about enjoying it and the markets that aren't traditional deserve to enjoy it just as much. It's, it's, it's really important for the growth of the game, especially as hockey looks to diversify. It's, it's so far behind, so far behind and uh, little victories like this and years like this uh, certainly help. So Craig Ludwig, one of my um, hosts, he plays in beer league sometimes. And I'm like, that's amazing, yeah. dude. You played 17 years in the NHL, and now you're in beer leagues. Does Lindsey Brown, former NCAA Division One netminder, oh former All-American, <laughs> no. I play that up? Do you get asked no, to be in yeah. beer leagues? No, I my all my pads are back up in Minnesota. Really? I I, it's it's kind of sad. Well, there's only so many rinks here, and so ice time is pretty premium. Uh, I don't really want to take slap shots from the hash marks from some dude who got cut in high school. And yeah. so that, that part of my life is kind of dotted. 
honestly, I'm not someone that goes easy. I would put my pads on and expect to do the same things I was doing when I was still playing. I don't think my body could hold up, but I need to get back into skating. Like it's really bizarre how different my life is down here. Cause I used to be on the ice every day. Cause I was coaching, I was doing stuff. And I mean, I've skated twice in the last four years and once was in Alaska. Like so it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I miss it, but, um, you know, the beer leagues, the beer leagues have their place. Maybe I'll, I'll return to them one day. Well, you are awesome. And the winner of this series, uh, sorry, the loser of this series has to buy drinks. Deal. Deal. As long as the drinks are here. <laughs> <laughs> she does not want to come know, to DFW. Well, you know we got better bars. You know it. You I, know it. Listen, I... This is tough for me because I love the Dallas Stars, but a lot of people know I'm from Las Vegas. So I'll, I, you yeah, know, you know I, I, you know, after about six months, I called myself a Nevada native, which is the right thing to do. And now I'm a Texas native. So uh, sure, I'll be rooting on the Stars and talking about the Dallas Stars primary. But you know, I'm happy because when I lived in in Vegas um, in the early '90s, I I really thought there were these like you know Johnny Come Lately. Uh, leagues that would come through and people are like sports doesn't work in Las Vegas. And I'm like, put a real team in Las Vegas and I promise you it will work. So from a distance, when I see what the city has embraced, I absolutely love it. And you know, it's become such a big time city. Yeah. We are the most popular kid in town. Everybody wants to have their party here. Everybody wants to come watch their team here and it's, it's exploded, but uh, a lot of, a lot of things had to converge to make it possible. But it's uh it's certainly a community that was starved and i think as we look back you know we always hindsight is 2020 why do we why do we wait so long but i mean everybody wants to get a piece of business here i mean like lebron's going to buy going to have an nba team here you know it and so it's uh it's it's been great and it's funny to hear you and other people around vegas i've been here since 84 <laughs> i saw this casino this used to be the startup yeah it's the city of stories, and that's that's what I love about it. You never knew who you're going to run into. Absolutely. All right, Stars fans, at Lindsey Brown 35. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Lindsey Brown 35. And she took the 35 because of her love for Marty Turco, I'm sure. Oh, I've talked to him. We we definitely discussed it. But uh, the spirit of 35 does not hold favorites. It just uh, plays a certain way. And so I appreciate right. the time today, Gavin. You're it's awesome. It's great. All right. Thanks, Thanks, everyone. I appreciate it. That's Lindsey Brown. She covers the Vegas Golden Knights. Of course, we'll have more Stars coverage for you as we gear up for the Western Conference Finals right here on Spits and Suds.